Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Audrey Rinlisbacher, author of The Mission Driven Life and founder of The Mission Driven Mom. We are just coming off a fantastic first day of our MDM celebration, Mothers of Vision, it was last weekend. And I hope those who attended have a, had a marvelous experience. We have one more day coming up on the 26th. It, we have a few spots left. If anyone is interested in joining us, I made an announcement this last weekend that I'll make again on the 26th and give lots of details. I'm gonna talk about it briefly here for just a minute. And if you wanna know more, <laughs> attend on the 26th, then we'll talk about it in more detail. But it ties into what we're gonna talk about today. We've been doing a Seven Laws of Life mission series and we are to Law 4. Now in the previous podcast in this series, I went into detail on principles underneath that law. With Law 3, I did not do that because I have so many other podcasts about principles that I figured you could go listen to those for more detail on how to build a more principle-centered home. Law four is to love humanity, and what that, the essence of that means, become a servant leader. That's the subtitle of that law. And so we're going to talk for a few minutes today about servant leadership. I just have a bunch of notes in front of me. It's going to, I'm just going to throw some ideas out there because it is something it's essential for us to understand. It takes time and effort to really get your mind around everything that it means. And it definitely it takes time to prepare yourself and to become someone who can be a servant leader. But I at least want to give you an introduction to the idea. So you have some sense of what we mean in the mission driven mom when we talk about servant leadership and why it's so critical. And loving humanity is what gives us the ability to do that. In the book, I talk about certain principles like being a lifelong learner, learning from the greats, and and learning about worldviews and different people of all sorts of backgrounds and religions. And that is actually one of the traits of a certain servant leader, that they can bridge all cultures, religions, and backgrounds and races, and build communities and connect with people regardless of their background. That's really, really important, and we can only do that the better, you know, the better we love someone, the better we know someone, the better we can love them. And so the more we know about all the different people that share this planet with us, the better we can love them and therefore become a servant leader to them. One thing that's absolutely critically important to servant leadership because it's inherent, it's almost like a preliminary. You can't serve someone unless you know what they need. Now, maybe if they're a controlling master, they could command and tell you what they need. But definitely, you would have to at least know who you're serving and have some sense of what they need, whether that comes through listening to them or watching them or learning about them. You have to be able to hear what they're saying, but you also have to be able to identify the missing principles that you could help insert into their life or their community or whatever it is or teach them or whatever it is to better serve them. I'm going to give you 
some examples of servant leadership and just some kind of some stuff to think about around this idea of servant leadership. In fact, the, um, the term servant leader was actually coined in 1970 by a man named Greenleaf. I think it was John Greenleaf. can't remember his first name. There's actually a whole organization that was built around some of his writings. Of course, we have the idea from ancient text, and we talk about Jesus and other spiritual leaders as being servant leaders. So that's definitely something important to look for when you're learning about great people and learning history and all that stuff. Let me give you some, this is, this is Greenleaf talking about what a servant leader is. And I, I like how he introduces this because it gives us an image. The idea of the servant as leader came out of reading Herman Hesse's Journey to the East. In this story, we see a band of men on a mythical journey, probably also Hesse's own journey. The central figure of the story is Leo, who accompanies the party as the servant who does their menial chores, but who also sustains them with his spirit and his song. He is a person of extraordinary presence. All goes well until Leo disappears. Then the group falls into disarray and the journey is abandoned. They cannot make it without the servant Leo. The narrator is one of the party. After some years of wandering, he finds Leo and is taken into the order that had sponsored the journey. There he discovers that Leo, whom he had known first as servant, was in fact the titular head of the order, its guiding spirit, a great and noble leader. He goes on to say, the great leader is seen as servant first, and that simple fact is the key to his greatness. Leo was actually the leader all of the time, but he was servant per first because that was who he was deep down inside. Leadership was bestowed upon a man who was by nature a servant. It was given or assumed. It was something given or assumed that could be taken away. His servant nature was the real man, not bestowed, not assumed, not to be taken away. He was servant first. So the servant part is the part that you choose, the part that I choose that we see a need somewhere and we're going to try to meet that need for someone else. And being a servant can never be taken away from us. But being a leader could be and can be. Leadership, and I have this beautiful quote for the ending, but it talks about how leadership is ultimately a gift. You're only a leader when people decide to follow you. And they follow you because they can see that you're worthy of being followed that you're going somewhere they want to go. You can't lead unless you're going somewhere. And so people have to be able to follow you where you're headed. And you have to state that and live that very clearly, but you have to be a servant first. So this is, this is really awesome. This is Greenleaf again. The servant leader is servant first, as Leo portrayed. It begins with the natural feeling that one wants to serve to serve first. Then conscious choice brings one to aspire to lead. He is sharply different, this servant leader is sharply different from the person who is leader first. 
perhaps because of the need to assuage an unusual power drive or to acquire material possessions. Now he goes on to say that if someone becomes a leader without kind of realizing how they got there, they can ultimately, eventually decide to be a servant too, and they can change their leadership style. But authority or positions of authority are not the same as leadership. And so if you're truly someone that's going somewhere that people are choosing to follow, not in a position where they have to follow because of, you know, the position that you stand in governmentally, or maybe, you know, in the PTA at your school or whatever it is, people have to, you know, do what you ask or whatever, because you have authority. Authority is not the same thing as leadership. When you read the great works of literature that have made a huge difference in the world, what you find is that often the true leaders are the most unlikely people. And they are often servants first. And people see that they have something to offer and that they're going somewhere they want to go, and so they choose to follow them. I want to just name off some really cool characteristics of servants. I liked this. This is from Barclay Card. I guess that's a company. And this is what they said about servant leadership. It's about influence rather than power and control. It's about inspiration rather than position and title. It's about focusing on others' strengths rather than weaknesses, which is such an interesting paradox to me because we started doing that in MDM before I even read this from this company. And it just seemed as though that's the right way to help people rise to their best is to focus on their strengths. It's about listening rather than giving orders. It's about humility rather than pride. The big picture rather than self-interest. It's about long-range benefits rather than short-term profits. And it's about creating new futures rather than maintaining the status quo. So I absolutely loved that. A couple things I wanted to, um, I wanted to talk about just for a few minutes are some characteristics of leadership. And then I'm going to share a story about Casper Ten Boom that really exemplifies so many of these traits in just a short little story. And of course, in the Mission Driven Life, you can read literally dozens of stories where servant leadership, I mean, you just have to look for a minute. It's demonstrated over and over and over again. I mean, if anybody in the world ever wanted to be a servant first, it was the Ten Boom family whether it was serving their employees or serving their neighbors or serving even, there's a really awesome story in the book about father when Casper Ten Boom is the father. Um, he, a, a man comes in to buy a watch or to have a watch repaired, I think. And he has gone to, to a, another watch repairman in town and that, individual couldn't fix the watch. And so Casper asks him, well, where, you know, where did you go? This is a pretty easy fix. What happened? And he said, well, I, I went to this young man. Now, Casper knew that man's father. That man's father had had a good, strong watch repair business in town. He'd recently passed away and the son was trying to assume his business and, you know, keep it, keep it 
going and thriving. And, and so Casper refused the business, made a small tweak to the watch and told him to go back to that young man that he was very capable and could help him in the future with his watch repair needs. He didn't want to steal a colleague's customer, especially when he was in such a uh, vulnerable position financially and in business, just taking over his father's business. So he was even able, willing, constantly willing to put aside his own self-interest for the greater good, to maintain relationships, to serve others, to help them succeed. So here's some characteristics of a great leader. I've got a couple, two or three different lists. Uh, again, I just want to throw some things out there for you to ponder and some things that you can look for, whether you're reading scripture, whether you're reading literature, biography, whether you're looking at current events and learning about people in leadership positions today. I think with a few of these things in the back of your mind, you can begin to see the true servant leader emerge. And honestly, they're the ones worth following. When you know that someone has set out to serve first and only after has become a leader because they're going somewhere and because people want to follow them, there's this really great quote. Um, he says that the servant leader is meeting a real natural need that people have. He says, the difference between a servant leader, a servant first and a leader first manifests itself in the care taken by the servant first to make sure that other people's highest priority needs are being served. The best test and most difficult to administer is this. Do those served grow as persons? Do they, while being served, become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, more like themselves and more likely themselves to become servants. And what is the effect on the least privileged in society? Will they benefit or at least will they not be further deprived? So that's a really cool test for who you ought to follow. Look at their followers. Do they become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, more like themselves? Do, are they more likely to become servant leaders to others? So I absolutely loved that little gauge for servant leadership. Let me give you some characteristics. First, just a list from Greenleaf himself. You, uh, the great leader serves first, like we've talked about. Has a, another one has a great dream. You know, this event that we're doing this month, Mothers of Vision, I did a podcast on principles of vision and we did some uh, podcast talking to some of the mentors from the event and things that they've learned. But no matter who you're trying to leave, lead, and honestly, you must be a servant leader to yourself first. You must be willing to serve yourself by understanding and meeting your real needs, by focusing on your strengths, by doing for yourself what you are trying to do for other people, what you would want others to do for you. Managing your emotions, managing your thoughts, staying out of victim, all those things that we talk about in level one of the academy, that's true servant leadership. You are learning to serve yourself and to lead yourself. And the, 
the kind of the capstone, you know, ending project of level one is to write a mission statement because it's hard to lead yourself when you don't know where you're going. And we have all felt that. It's hard to feel excited and motivated and get up in the morning ready to face the day unless we have some vision of where we're going, of why this day is connected to other important days, why the actions that we're going to take today have inherent meaning in a greater picture, in a, in a greater vision or dream of what we're, how we're using our energy and our creative ability to make the world a better place. And it can, it starts with you. It starts with you owning you, managing you, loving you. And then you can do more of that for your family. And of course, then you want to serve, you want to lead your family. And so you're going to be a servant to them first. And you're going to have a great dream of where your family can head. And then they're going to follow you there because they understand what it is you're trying to create and where you're trying to go. And they can see that it's getting you somewhere they want to be. They can see that your dream leads to greater fulfillment, meaning, purpose, joy, and it enriches others, right? They see that you're better, that you're happier, that you're kinder, that you're a better listener, that you're, you're more patient. And so they want to follow you. You know, that's why leadership is a gift. It must be bestowed upon you. You cannot go out and be, you can start a business, you can have authority, you can get into a position in a company or in the government or in the schools, but people won't really listen to you and they won't really follow you. So you've got to have a dream. If you haven't attended, (laughs) I'll just throw this out there. We, you know, you can still join us on the 26th. Principles of vision are part of being a leader. You must have a great vision. First, you're a servant, and then you have a great dream. You know, watch Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream speech. If you want to understand great leaders, how they really cast vision and get people on board a dream that they hold. A great leader also has confidence in his values. This is something else that we do in level one. We get clear about our personal values. Our moral framework, yes, our moral virtues that we hold to, and also our personal values. And we feel confident in who we are. We feel confident in where we stand. And we hold to those values no matter what, no matter who it is that tries to tell us that that we don't know what we're talking about. He knows that he is competent. And we, we talk about this at the Mission Driven Mom a lot too. Trust is only built through competence. And so if somebody doesn't believe that you can actually do something, whether it's stringing lights on the house or changing a diaper or making spaghetti for dinner or something far more inherently important like fathering your children or providing or investing, you will not work with them. You cannot trust them. You won't, you won't follow them unless you believe they're competent. And the leader must know first that she is competent and she knows that she's competent because she pays a price to be competent because she goes through the necessary mental, physical training. She gets the mentoring she needs. She puts herself in the position of an apprentice, learning from a servant leader and following that servant leader and, and trying to duplicate what that servant leader is giving out so that she can be as competent as possible to lead. She trusts her own judgment. And of course, we trust our judgment best 
when we have all the information we need and we have God to lean on. There's a great story in the Mission Driven Life also about Father Ten Boom, Casper Ten Boom, and when Holland was struck by the Nazis in World War II, and the Prime Minister came on the radio and they listened, and and he said, or she, I can't remember if it was a man or a woman, said, you know, we're going to fight, we won't fall, you know, everything's going to be okay, and and Casper was angry. He switched off the radio and he said, uh, we are going to fall and the Nazis are going to take over. And he knew that, be- he, he knew, he trusted his, his own judgment because he knew he was competent and he studied history and he knew about his own government and he knew what would happen and it was, he was right. Five days later, Holland fell. Great leaders also have a sustaining spirit. They receive divine inspiration and they nurture their followers spiritually. They move from goal to goal pretty clearly because their their mind and their heart is fixated on a dream and that dream can, you know, through the help of God continues to feed to them what goals they need to have next. We call these outcomes in the principles of vision celebration because People hate the word goals, mostly why. But one of the things that we talk about during the day is that as you partner with God to make your vision a reality, he will keep telling you the steps you need to take. In fact, one of the mentors was working on the content and she made a comment about, you know, well, I set this whole plan of action in place and I had my two outcomes and I started working on the vision and I started really, you know, dreaming about it and planning for it. And all of a sudden I realized actually I shouldn't do those outcomes. I should do something else. And I said, that's exactly how it works. You start moving toward a vision and you get more and more and more clarity about what you need to do next. Great leaders are great listeners. Listening builds strength. True listening builds strength in other people. A great leader uses language to inspire is creative because they're able to take the available information and make decisions that prove to be good. They have a richness of resources. I really loved this one. If you go out there and build relationships and you gather information, data, and you identify principles and strive to live them, can you imagine the rich number of resources you have to draw on in order to lead They're virtually limitless, and as you continue to grow as a person, you will never run out of resources to use in making decisions and nurturing those that you lead. They're studiers of human nature, and this is a really fascinating one. They utilize regular renewal. This is something that I kept thinking about with Jesus. He took time. When he needed a break, he took it, sometimes for a month, (laughs) and he... He went out and renewed and armed himself emotionally, spiritually, physically, in every way to meet the demands upon him again in order to continue to be the great servant leader that he was. And I start, I made a list. I was going to go through it, but instead I'm just going to challenge you to take a look at the life of Jesus and ask yourself what leadership traits he lived because you'll find that he was a phenomenal leader And there are so many lessons to be learned from the way that he led. But this regular renewal was one 
that he really used. We talk about managing your energy in the academy and that's so much about what this is about is making sure that regular renewal is part of your life, part of your day, part of your lifestyle so that you don't burn out and disappear on followers who are depending on you. Leaders often build institutions to serve through. And that's what you want to do, you know, with any organization, evaluate, again, using that list of evaluatory tools that I gave you for, is this an organization that is a servant first and is striving to meet those real needs of people as they, and help them grow so that they too can become servant leaders. The last one, I love this because it again ties back to the academy and to that personal responsibility that we need to take. A great leader sees the world's problems as inside him and the process of change as beginning with him. He doesn't say, oh man, all those people are out there making such a big mess. If they would just change, everything would be better. The leader sees the problem out there and asks himself or herself how he can change inside that might have an impact on what's going on outside of him. You know, this is classic Gandhi. He fasts and he first builds the relationships. He first nurtures the needs of others and teaches truth. And then he fasts. He looks and he asks himself, what can I do? What can I control? What do I have the power over? I have the power over whether or not I eat. And he was so beloved that they stopped their civil war for his survival. Now, this is really fascinating. I'm going to finish up with this. Greenleaf talks about, you know, what makes, what really stands in the way of great leadership. And he said, the real enemy for servant leadership, the real enemy in the world, the real enemy that's stopping humanity from really moving forward and embracing more truth is strong natural servants who have the potential to lead but do not lead or those who choose to follow a non-servant. So I want to finish up by telling you this story about Casper Tenboom that really demonstrates again as so many other stories in the book do his ability to serve first, to see opportunities for service that no one else saw and to let it just change him and his family and his community. After World War I, countless German children were suffering from severe malnutrition. Casper pondered the plight of these children and determined to help somehow. He went to his daughters and discussed with them his idea. They would organize an outreach for children of watchmakers in Germany. As chairman of the International Watchmakers Organization, he knew watchmakers all over Holland. He spent many hours contacting watchmakers all over Holland to ask them to take a German child into their homes for a time. His plan was that these families would take a child in, provide good food and care, and then return them to their homes in Germany. As Casper was making these arrangements, Corey asked him, why don't you take a child yourself? He replied, just wait, Corey. Many have promised to take children, but not everyone will be faithful. We cannot depend on everyone. There will be children for whom I have no home and we will take them. When the children arrived so shy, pale, and malnourished, Corey related, 
I had to struggle to hold back my tears. One by one, Casper matched them to their sponsor families until near the end, sure enough, two children were unspoken for. Come along, my young friends, Casper consoled them. You need a good meal and a warm bed. He reached down and held out his hands to two skinny little children, one about ten, and the other a year or two younger. Casper Ten Boom's door was always open. His preparation and willingness to see the needs of others and answer this call to serve provided these children with nourishment and support until they could return to Germany and recommence the rebuilding. As he answered the calls that came, his influence for good grew and the love of God was spread through him to others. Now this podcast today and the book, The Mission Driven Life, are just the very, very tip of the iceberg to introduce you to something that is going to take a few years to really internalize and live. But it is critical because those of you that are listening to me, you are phenomenal human beings. You are exactly who he is talking about. You are strong, natural servants who have the potential to lead. And you get to choose how much better the world becomes by choosing to learn how to become a servant leader. And you can do it with us in the MDM Academy. You know, level one is yourself. Level two is your home. Level three is understanding the world and a deep, deep dive into these principles, but you don't have to do it with us. You just have to do it. There are several places where you could be mentored, coached, and trained. Please do not take shortcuts. Please do not think that you can have these reserves of patience and justice and creativity and inspirational language and the ability to listen deeply and hold a great dream and have rich resources. That is not going to come overnight. And I am sure that to a degree you have been preparing yourself until now, but it takes a lifetime of preparation. You will find that your leadership will grow and grow and grow in proportion as you grow. You can work on you and the more powerfully you lead yourself, the more your family will follow. And the more the family follows, the more the community will follow. And you will see those places where you can insert yourself and bring principle-centered solutions to the world's problems. You are the solution. You can choose to lead and you can choose to follow servant leaders. The solution is able servants with potential to lead who must lead and where appropriate, they must follow only servant leaders. The natural servant The person who is servant first is more likely to persevere and refine his hypothesis on what serves another's highest priority needs than is the person who is leader first and who later serves out of promptings of conscience or in the conformity with normative expectations. If you're a servant first, you will persevere and refine your ability to lead. You will actively work on your leadership skills until they are honed so finely that you look around and find yourself being followed by others. This is Bob Davids. Leadership is a gift. 
You can't buy it, you can't sell it, you can't trade it. You either have it or you don't. It is the most valuable commodity on the planet, and it is the rarest commodity we have. But it's not just any type of leadership, it's leadership without ego. It's servant leadership. So with those thoughts in mind, please look inside, ask yourself where you can begin to better serve yourself and better serve your family so that you can become the next servant leaders that the world is crying out for. Leadership is more desperately needed now than ever before. And you are the person who has the ability to solve that problem by becoming a servant leadership yourself. We need you. So take that mandate seriously and begin working on you. And you'll find someday that you really are a leader of many who follow you towards truth. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's been a privilege to talk to you about servant leadership. Please comment. You can go to the podcast page on the website, or you can comment in the Facebook group. Let me know what you think of these ideas, where you think you are in your servant leadership journey, and what your next steps are. I'd love to hear from you. If you've not joined the Mission Driven Mom Mastermind Facebook group, please head over to Facebook and do that. Thanks so much for joining me today, and I'll see you next time.